Samuel and Joseph, welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. How are you guys today? Good. We're doing great. Excellent. Excellent. So I've got Samuel and Joseph on the podcast. These two guys are brothers. They have been uh, deconstructing, thinking, reconstructing Mormonism for a while now. And we thought it would be interesting to have these two brothers on the podcast, to have these two have a conversation where uh, Sam is telling his journey and his journey has led in one direction. And then his brother, Joe, uh, will share insights along the way because his path led a completely different place. But these two brothers get along well. They understand each other. They have empathy for each other's positions. They respect each other. And so I thought this would be a really fun conversation to facilitate. And so let's start off. Uh, Sam, why don't you start us off and give us a brief bio of yourself. This interview will f- uh, primarily focus on Samuel. And as the conversation takes place, Joe uh, Joseph is going to... Um, poke in here and there and share insights as he was watching his brother's journey and experiencing uh, his own. So uh, Samuel, start us off with uh, some thoughts, uh, I guess, about yourself and who you are and and how much you want to share with the audience. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the traditional born in the covenant type member of the church, Uh, went and served a mission in South America, served in the council and the bishopric, stake young men's president, uh, married in the temple, five kids, the whole shebang. I I went to BYU for three years, and then I finished off at uh, ASU and Stanford and George Washington and work in the the technical industry. And, uh, you know, I, I just have a a long experience with in the church, obviously growing up in the church. And about six years ago, I... My, my my brother here, Joe, will will talk a little bit about what he what happened with him, but he he left the church. And that started me into the rabbit hole, as many folks would say, right? And and really spending time trying to understand the complexities of Mormonism. I've spent thousands of hours studying and and uh, now consider myself a very nuanced member, but yet still in the church. And my, my brother's obviously left. And so Anyway, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about all of that goes, but, but that's me in a nutshell. Beautiful. And uh, Joseph, tell us, tell us what you'd want the audience to know about you. Yeah, well, we're brothers. And uh, the biggest thing is I am very grateful for my brother. He, was, he, he took my concerns very seriously and wanted to dive into them and have integrity about it. So I think our relationship has become stronger because both of us are willing to have intellectual integrity. Uh, I left, I think it was about, it was actually seven and a half years ago, brother. It wasn't um, that long? Okay. Yeah. And it was because my, my oldest was going to turn eight and I was discovering these things and I was say, do I want to start the process of having my kids getting baptized and all that? And I, uh, that, that's when I decided to pull the trigger. Um, I certainly, I was a temple worthy member. I was the, I was given out a case of book of Mormons a year. I was true blue trying to, trying to save the world. I, uh, I, I, I truly believed it, and uh, yeah, and as we all know, that's a that's a hard pill to swallow when you start learning things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deeply familiar with with that process and uh, and how it leads some out and some stay. And this is going to be a fun conversation with the two of you, as as you both love and respect each other and have gone in somewhat different directions in terms of what ground you guys hold at the present moment. Uh, Sam, let's start off. Maybe tell us more about how you did get into the messiness of Mormonism. I love calling it that because it is so messy. I don't know of a church that in 200 years has as much cool history and crazy things that happened. Um, So run us through your thoughts, I guess, on when, you know, you mentioned your brother uh, again, seven and a half years ago. Tell us about 
what first kind of started to poke holes in your beliefs and, and where you went and, and what kind of things you started to read and think about and what kind of things started to bother you? Yeah. So, so when my brother, and, and I'll never forget the call, I was standing in a parking garage and, and working for the tech company that I worked for. And, and my brother, I, I called him because my, my dad had just shared that he'd gotten this, this call out of the blue from, from my brother, Joe. And, and so I called, I called Joe and I said, Joe, what, what's going on? And I remember him going, it, it just isn't true. And at, at the moment, you know, I was like, well, what are you talking about? It isn't true. It's of course it's true. I've, you know, we've lived this our whole lives and, you know, 30 years in this thing and, or, or give or take. And, and so that was the spark that started me. And, and what happened is, is I hung up the call and then I, I thought about things and I really felt impressed or whatever you want to call it. Right. I, I felt impressed that I want to, I don't want to be that brother that just casually says hi and bye. And there's a 800 pound gorilla in the room every time we talk because he left and he has his reasons, but I don't care to know about any of those reasons. I wanted to know him and understand him and, and, and get it. And I, and I knew that that was a scary endeavor, but I also knew that I've, you know, I've been blessed with, um, I think a reasonably intellectual mind and I've been able to do a lot of things with that. And so I felt like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and discover what's going on so that I can have real, genuine, authentic conversations with my brother. And so I started, I started looking for things to, to do. And to, to, I started with Fair Mormon, a lot of that, right? Because you ask all these questions and you look at, obviously, you go to the, the very faithful sources at first. And some of that was okay. Um, I did start to discover later a trend of, of pretty bold defensiveness of the church itself, right? In a, almost to a fault in some cases, or to a fault in some cases, I would argue. And and so I started listening to tons of podcasts. Bill, your your podcast was probably one of the first podcasts that I really latched on to. In fact, I remember thinking, Bill's my guy. He's going he's gonna to help me get through this journey and kind of figure out how to... Uh, March through Mormonism with all the messiness. And because you, at the moment, at that time, seven and a half years ago, I, you were still in, correct? I believe you were still. Yeah. And I might even been a sitting bishop at the time. That's right. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, hey, this guy understands it, sees the messiness. And so I really latched on to tons of podcasts and I spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours studying, you know, whether it was all these different books or all these different articles. I mean, you, you know how it goes, right? Just in the rabbit hole and looking at all the different issue, issues. I've read the CES letter and the rebuttals of the CES letter and some of those kinds of things. And so just every single thing along the way, I, I just went in deep and, and I would have conversations with my brother, Joe, but it wasn't always, um, he was out. So he, you know, he had a different perspective sometimes and he would dig in a little bit, maybe harder than I felt comfortable doing at the time. But uh, it did create space for us to talk freely about some of those things. I, I want to ask too, and I want to, I want to get Joe involved in this question, which is when you're first reading the apologetics, you're listening to me early on, you're listening to other things like Mormon stories and you're, you're reading books. Uh, some of those obviously critical, but some of those also, also very, you know, faithful or maybe apologetic. Are you going back to your, your brother and saying like, Oh, I've got answers. I've got solutions. I hear, here are the fixes for the problem. And if you do, I would like to know maybe how, how Joe received that, what that felt like. And, and what his thoughts were around that, or as you're maybe reading positive stuff and saying, "Hey, we can make this work." Yeah, I think I think early on, at least, there was one or two things that I sent Joe. I, I remember sending him. Um, what's the name of the gentleman that does all the polygamy research? He, I, Brian I Hales. Brian Hales. Yes, I, I listened to something from Brian. I listened to a lot of stuff from Brian, and and originally I was like, well. He was really trying to make it fit and work. And some of the stuff he says, I think he has a, has a good point. But I remember sending something to my brother, Joe, and and I think it left a bad taste in his mouth because he had already done so much research on that. He kind of felt like Brian was going over the top in some cases in defending some things. And so 
Um, for, for the most part, I would say that I had to slowly ease into what I felt was really happening with all the information. It's hard to have a conversation with someone that um, understands calculus when I'm still dealing with addition and subtraction, right? So I had to slowly work myself through addition, subtraction, you know, geometry, first and second level algebra, right? All those things before I could have that conversation with my brother, Joe, who had obviously spent hundreds of hours studying this stuff as well. And so that I think is, is one of the hard things I see between those that are still in the church and those that are out is to actually even have a conversation because there are so, there are such wide differences of, of belief and understanding, fundamental understanding that it's hard to even say, Hey, how can we talk about this? Cause it, right. it, it feels like sometimes, sometimes it feels like the Democrats and Republicans talking, right? You see that happening today with the extremism and dualistic thinking and all of that. And it's these two extremes and they just talk past each other. Um, so, but I, I had to kind of slowly learn where my brother was coming from and I understand that much better now. And I've, yeah. I've discovered that it takes a lot more charity when you've left the church to interact with uh, your family members who love you. And so, so my memory on it, Sam, was, man, I, 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 I was trying to be very patient and understanding because I can see where I know what the, the true believing members felt. And I've always tried to be sensitive to those needs. I've never, I've never gone out and blasted the church publicly. I've never gone after someone's faith to try to pull them down. Um, and so, but that almost creates a weakness. That strength is also a weakness. And it takes so much willpower to, to interact with those you love as they bring up things. And then uh, I do remember that one article. And in the article, it was it was a blatant it was a blatant mis misconstruing of principles, and it was it, it just felt gross. And uh, but I do remember one time on the beach, uh, you, you kept asking these questions, and I was kind of smiling and responding. And then uh, finally, you kept asking, and and uh, I, I kind of laid into you on the, on that beach, if you remember that. And uh, I do I know that caused a little bit of a little bit of uh, hurt, I'm sure. But uh, but man, it, it takes so much more charity to interact with with a true blue believing member w- when you know the reality of things, and you also love them, and you don't want to hurt them. And, yeah. and kind of, kind of speaking with the parking brakes on, being very delicate, it's, it's, it takes a lot of willpower. Yeah, yeah. It, I, and I remember that on the beach. And I, I will add to that that you know, from, from a member's perspective, right? My my father, who's very believing, very orthodox, right? It's hard for him to have charity because he he wants to shake shake my brother Joe and slap him around and tell him what that he's wrong and all of this. And I've had conversations with my father to try to kind of play the mediator and say, Dad, it's it's okay. He's he, he's okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah, it is interesting, right? Like for the person who goes down the rabbit hole, you understand the dominant narrative. You understand the way the church was handed to you, the kind of way it was taught to you. And, and now you understand this deeper, more accurate, more realistic history. And, and for the person who's still in, they simply can't know what they can't, what they don't know. Right. And so there's this um, inability to just throw it on them and make them change their mind immediately. Instead, if you are going to change anyone's mind, it has to be softly, kindly, lovingly, little piece by little piece. But I am curious, Joe, when when you saw your brother go down the rabbit hole and you see him start to take these issues seriously, I, I got to believe there's some sense of like relief that there's somebody in your family that's starting to look into these things and being intellectually honest and being willing to grapple with these things the way they really are. Your thoughts? That That is a gift I am going to be forever grateful for. Um, my my brother is, 
is the only one who truly took my concerns seriously and, and wanted to help. And, and, and not just help, but help from a point of understanding. And so w- when he started doing that and he started reading more and more, man, I, I'm so grateful for him. I, I, uh, it, it created more of a bond. It, it created more of, a, more of a connection. And, and, and I've never had a need for people to leave. I, I don't feel like I need to pull people out of the, uh, my, like, for example, my parents. I don't feel a need to, to, to pull them out because my, my mother could not handle uh, life without the, the foundation of a church. I, maybe she could. Maybe, maybe that's, that's not my space to make that judgment. But when, when my brother started researching and taking it very serious, I was just grateful. And I, and I sure, I was kind of maybe a little hopeful that that might spread to the rest of the siblings and, and that the, my generation, uh, we would kind of all leave together and create a, a connection like my brother and I have. But, 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 but we're making it work, you know. But, man. It's, it's a great, it was a great gift that he gave me. Yeah, beautiful. I, I want to go back to you, uh, Sam, and talk about, like, so you're, you see your brother, he's out, he's, he's adamant that this doesn't add up. You dive down the rabbit hole, you start to read all these things, you start to sense yourself that this gets really messy, that Mormonism, whatever Mormonism is, it's not the story the church told. It's something different than that. And, and many of those foundational stories have lots of nuance to them at a minimum and, and at a maximum uh, have a story told that really isn't the real story. And, and so I'm curious, as you're wrestling with all of that and as you're watching your brother from this, from this closeness to him, uh, what does that do for you and where do you kind of go from there? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I think I became painfully aware of the complexities and that it's not so simple, right? Members don't just go from being faithful, like my brother was faithful, and then all of a sudden they're out of the church. It's not like, oh, he just wanted to to, to drink or be promiscuous or whatever. It, it's really that there is a ton of complexity to our historical narrative and the way that we manage our theology. And I, I, I actually created quite a bit of empathy and understanding for him. And that's that's passed over to other people that I would interact with. For example, I was home teaching a member at the time who was who loved to have a beer every night. And I honestly became one of his best friends because I could just sit back and go, I don't care if you come back to church. I would love you to be able to come to church and still drink your beer every night if you really feel like that's what you need. But um, there was no perverse incentive, right, for me to like pull him back. I felt like I could be the genuine member that I want to be without feeling like, oh, I have to get you back to church. Oh, you have to come back. It's the, you know, the whole Mormon missionary type thing. And 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 honestly, that I had deep discussions with many others who have either openly discussed some of their historical concerns. My wife and I have sat with a brother who came out gay to us in tears at a restaurant because he he felt we were a safe space to share that. And um, I've befriended uh, a couple of guys that I, I know. One guy was <laughs> he, he made some mistakes. He he committed adultery basically and and was shunned by the entire ward. But I, I took him under my wing because of the way I I see things, and I was able to talk with him and. And he basically kind of also broke down with me and was able to, to share his mistakes and his story and how he wants to be. I mean, you, you can't help someone when all you do is sit within a certain circle of the fence and point the finger, right? I mean, we, we talk about that famous Book of Mormon story and the, the large and spacious building and people pointing their fingers out of the, out of the large and spacious, spacious building and laughing and, and all and scorn. Well, sometimes that's us as members, right? That's totally us. And I think understanding where my brother was, it created so much love for those that struggle, for those that are seeing things differently. And frankly, a, a lot of under, a lot of really good understanding of 
why it makes sense in some cases for them to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, um, Sam, in terms of like your beliefs, as you're reading all of this stuff, as you're thinking about it, as you're developing empathy for people who live out their life differently than the Mormon, you know, institutional expectation of people. And as you watch your brother and you see all this interaction and as it's doing all of this, as it's causing all these parts inside of you to move, I'm just curious in terms of your own, I guess, beliefs, um, how did some of those change? I know that as we kind of set up this interview, um, we didn't want to spend a ton of time in this space, but I do want to ask, you know, how do your beliefs did maybe fundamentally change or maybe shift a little bit? And maybe we can pick out a couple of major issues and just talk about those for a moment. Yeah, sure. So they've evolved, right? My beliefs have evolved uh, quite a bit. I think initially I was trying to maybe defend some of the the true blue historical narratives of the church, but you know, where I'm at today has evolved quite a bit. I mean, I'm willing to say, even as a member, right? I'm willing to say, hey, it's possible that visions didn't happen, that the translations weren't authentic, right? When we talk about Book of Abraham, for example, I I don't think that that's an authentic translation. Um, I, I think it can be inspired, but but not authentic, right? I think that it's quite possible that uh, Joseph Smith was developing his theology over time and he was using scriptures and whatnot to do that. I, I think that um, there, there's a lot of things that uh, were really just church leaders and church church members such as Joseph and his brethren trying to do the, do what they thought was, was good for a, a church organization and structure. And, you know, I, I think in some cases they got a lot of things right. I, there's a lot of things that are in the Book of Mormon that I think are beautiful. That are in the that all all the scriptures, right? I think there's wonderful quotes and scriptures. And in fact, my brother Joseph, he he was so hardcore Mormon at one point, he he could probably quote half the Book of Mormon to you. He used to memorize large sections at a time. But um, I I do believe that uh, I I guess I'm open to any spectrum of belief. And 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 frankly, I want to be a member that can create space for someone to be in the church and say, hey, I don't think the Book of Mormon's historical, or I don't think the Book of Abraham is is an authentic translation, or all these things, or Joseph was wrong on a lot of things, but I can be here. Can I not be here? And I'm hoping that members of the church can start to say, yeah, of course you can be here. Uh, it, it, we're still trying to do what's right. I think 95% of the members are really trying to, to live their best lives. Authentic, I really believe that. And so, but in terms of my core beliefs, you know, on a lot of those things, um, yes, they've shifted quite a bit. Yeah, I want to go back here, uh, Joe, and ask you a question and just kind of maybe set a tone for the rest of the conversation, which is obviously you guys have got your parents. It sounds like you guys have got siblings. Um, You don't necessarily have to share how many or if you want to, you can. But I'd love to hear like the relationship between the two of you, maybe versus other siblings. Like did the two of you always get along really well? And so maybe it was kind of natural, uh, Sam, for you to kind of um, lean towards empathy when, when Joe leaves or, or did your family all get along really well? Or maybe there was some conflict in your family and maybe it was maybe even between the two of you and it was difficult. Uh, and some, maybe it seemed like a strange thing for the two of you to kind of bond over this thing. I'm just curious what the family dynamic is. No, we've, uh, it, it might be strange to believe because I sound a lot more mature and wiser, but I'm actually the younger brother, <laughs> three years younger. I was, that was a joke, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> But we, we've always been, been pretty close and uh, to the point where we, we always call and talk. When I got off my mission, my brother was married within a few days. So we, we kind of we didn't really get that, that season where, where we might have bonded a little bit more. Um, but we always, we always stayed close. 
and when I left, I, I remember my brother was 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 kind of devastated that he felt like he he let me down as a brother, and, and that that he he should have been there for me um, during my struggle to talk to me about things, and uh, and, and I was kind of like I, I, that that surprised me for some reason. I don't know why it surprised me, but uh, but we, we I've always felt felt very close. Now I moved out of the state. Uh, what is about eight? Now I was in two thousand seven, and so that 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 made it harder for us to get together as much. Um, but we talk all the time. Um, and our relationship with, with all of our siblings are, are very good. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no real crazy drama. There's normal drama, but we all love each other. We all try to get together whenever we can. Uh, I call everybody all the time, uh, in-laws also. And uh, we're, we're a pretty close family. And, and that's why it's worth the effort to try to, it, it takes a lot of work to try to make this, make this happen. And the other two, we have, uh, we do have two, two sisters, uh, younger and they, they're, they're willing to, to talk. And, um, but, but I've always treaded very lightly. I, I have told them that I, I never, if you have questions, you're, I'm always happy to talk, but I, I, I will, I will never try to get your children. I will never try to, uh, tr- try to convince you. I have no, no other motive except for just being your brother and loving you. Yeah, but I, I want to pop in here because, and share maybe a little bit more of myself in, because I, I think this happens, which is when you're the first person in the family to deconstruct and step away and you're now seen by that family kind of as an outsider, like, oh my, he, he, he walked away and, and it feels like there's a lot of judgment coming your way, whether there is or isn't, it feels like it is. Yes. And anytime you try to step in and go, Hey guys, can I explain what happened? This wasn't just willy nilly. This was me going through something painful and and hard, and I I lost sleep. I had anxiety. I you know whatever that journey looks like for you, and you can describe it if it's different. If it was calm and, and easy, then great. Tell me that. But um, no, my 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 hardest thing. We, we we all have a natural need, a primal emotional need to have approval. And man, I when I was true blue and memorizing you know, this, the Book of Mormon and, and be, you know, being very active in my callings and all that stuff. I knew my, my dad was proud of me. I knew it. And, um, at, and, and at the beginning, when, when, when I was going through this, my family would say, hey, we love you no matter what. And, and the way I interpreted that is, yes, my, my parents are always going to love me, even if I was a drug addict, a criminal. But I, I wanted them to be proud of me. And that is something that was, that was taken away that, that I know no matter what I do. And th- there's still a part of me that, that, that wants to like show my parents how much character I have and the good I'm doing in the world. So I want them to be proud of me, not just love, because love is unconditional from them. They're great people. But, but that, that is, a, that is a, a primal emotional need that's not going to be met from my parents. And so I, I, I have to, that's what it is. And that's just the facts of it. Um, and, and Sam said that to me, Hey, we love, we're going to love you no matter what. And everybody was saying that. And, and that almost became a trigger for me. And like, okay, love is not enough. And that was one of the big things that I, I learned as leaving the, the, the church is just, just having love in your heart and feeling that your position is right is one of the biggest traps we fall into to think that, oh, I felt right about this and this is, and I have love. How could I have done, be wrong if I have love in my heart? 
And uh, love isn't enough. You, you have to be willing to be wrong. And uh, but but going back to your 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 point, yes, not having my my family be proud of me and always yearning for me to change who I am, basically, it does make it tough. But 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 that pain has has subsided as we've as as years have gone by, and uh, I, I feel I feel pretty pretty comfortable now with where I'm at my my, my family. And I want to just add in here too that as I went down the rabbit hole and understood the complexities more and more. I went from initially talking to my brother, trying to kind of inch him back towards the church to eventually, and where I'm at today is I honestly don't care if he comes back or not. Um, what's important to me is that he is good. He's living his best life, that he's happy. Uh, of course, I want him to be a good person. There's certain things that I don't want, you know, I'd rather him not do. And, and he, he's doing great. He's, fanta- he's a fantastic father and, and husband and a brother, all those things. But once you peel back that, that kind of perverse incentive of every time I talk to him, I'm going to try and see if I can inch him back. Once you remove that, boy, it, it everything can be truly authentic. There's no expectation. And that's hard for, for 95% of true believing members to do, right? Because anytime you talk to somebody that has left the church, what are you trying to do? Even initially when I went down the rabbit hole, my thought was, well, I'm going to help understand this so that I can help my brother come back. That was yeah. my initial intent even, right? But as I understood it, Eventually, I got to a space where I'm like, you know, it's okay. He's going to be okay. What he's doing is is okay, and I understand why he's doing what he's doing, and I validate that. And for any, you know, non-members or post-Mormons that are listening, I 100% validate your choice. I, I really do. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't feel the need to pull people back. It's. It's just. I just want truth and love and kindness to prevail. Yeah, and and it almost be easier. If there was shunning, like in the Jehovah's Witness, and I remember telling you that earlier on, uh, when you leave, there's an a, there's an a, an abundance of love coming your way. <laughs> you know, I, I got so many calls and uh, you know people who love me, and you know I, I know my dad was on the phone calling everybody. My mission president called me, which by the way I still talk to my mission president all the time. Even recently, we still talk. He flew out uh, last year just for the day to visit with me, and uh, yeah. And so that was, that was a great experience, but, but going back to it, yeah, it would be almost easier if there was shunning and there wasn't this, this motivation and you see it and you know, it's like these people who I love are acting in a certain way that isn't authentic. And it's, it's just because they're, they're trying to do what is right, but it's, it comes across as almost fake and sad. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, but, but with, I, I want to say that without being disparaging to those people. And uh, yeah, but I would, I, it would have been a lot easier if, if it's shunned, if there's a shunning, at least for the short term, for the first few years. Now that the, the over, that the giant tidal wave of, of love has subsided and people have kind of settled into where I'm at. Now I'm glad there was no shunning because, because we've been able to keep our tribe together and our family together. Yeah. 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 I, and, and earlier, uh, when you were talking, Joe, you talked about how, like, I knew everybody loved me, like, I, I, and, and I'm just relating to that because, and I think the audience will too, for those who have left, you are going back and you're trying to get something. You're, you're trying to let people know that you worked your ass off trying to make this thing fit, right? You, you lost sleep at night. You, you're trying to find answers. You, and, and you just, your, your brain just can't do that. It, it, for whatever reason, again, there are people who can believe and there are people who uh, disbelieve. There are people who stay. There are people who go. For the folks who go and disbelieve, they just can't put it back together the way 
it used to be. And when you go to your parents or your siblings, I thought you, when you said like, I, I thought I was looking for love and, and that's there and plenty and something's still not right. I'm, I'm connecting with that because I also felt like all I wanted was love. And if you guys could just love me and accept me, then if this would be okay. And I had in-laws, my, my family's not Mormon, but my in-laws, my, my father-in-law came up at one point and wrapped his arms around me and hugged me for the longest time and just said, I love you no matter what. I love you. And you're right. It, it didn't fill the void. And what you're looking for, I think you hit it on the head. You're looking for some sense of respect for the journey you went on and how you got there and the work that went into that and the pain and hardship that went into that. And you want your parents and siblings to say, like, we're proud of you for having done all that hard stuff and, and come out the other side of it still a solid human being, right? Right. But, yeah. but nobody, nobody understands that. Nobody understands. I, I listen to you, Bill. I listen to David Bakavoy, Phil McElmore, all these, and, and RFM, right? His story is amazing. All of you. I mean, I'm sitting in my car listening to these podcasts and I'm, I'm like tearing up because the, the depth of study and sleepless nights and the dark journey of the soul, like I can relate to that now. And that's, that's created so much empathy for my brother and for everyone. And no one wants the church to be true more than these men that I've, that I've spoken about, including my brother. I mean, that's why we put so much time and effort into it. And, you know, when your father-in-law had his arms wrapped around you, there, there was no way for him to understand that because he hasn't experienced it. And so he can have sympathy, but not empathy because empathy comes from a place of actually having gone through it. And boy, you, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. You can't go back. And, and maybe we wish we could, but it's, it just is for those that are still in the church that haven't gone through that. There's just no way for them to understand. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with you, Bill. It was more than just you wanted love. You wanted them to almost be proud of the work because what, what you're really doing is you've been following Mormon principles, right? You're doing what is right. You're having integrity. Uh, the truth will set you free. You're not afraid of, of truth. And, and, and I, I, I've always wanted to, to communicate that to my, my loved ones. And I, and I would kind of distill it down to, into a message to try to let them know that I am living with integrity. And I, and I would always say, I have, if, if, if Mormonism is true and I'm standing before God, I, I, I can stand before him with full confidence that with, with the mind I was given and the heart and all the information I had, I did everything I could to find the truth. I, I, I and, and that, that I can stand with confidence in front of him. And, and, and I would use that as almost as a way for me to plead to those who love me that, Hey, I'm a good boy. You know, I, you should be proud of me. I have integrity and I'm doing what you raised me to do. Uh, but that's, that's, that's something that uh, I have to, to, to hold on to that. But, but, but I, I know it's not going to resonate fully with my, my family, but you know, you just have to keep, keep living and uh, do not get consumed up in the negative and, and stay in that positive, uh, that positive fire of life and everything will work out fine. Yeah. I, I can tell that Sam's proud of you, Joe. And uh, I can tell you that listening to you express all of that, that I think a lot of other people are proud of you too, uh, myself included. Um, Sam, let's uh, talk for a minute about some of these beliefs. So I just want to hit on some core ones. And I don't, again, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Um, race and priesthood. Uh, to me, it's one of the top five issues in the church. And I think most people who have deconstructed agree. And I think it's for a real reason, which is it points to what we can expect from uh, prophets. It speaks to whether we as an institution are able to admit, admit mistakes. 
Um, it points to whether these men actually talk to God in the way that we were taught they do. Um, your thoughts on race and priesthood? Yeah, that, that one for me was pretty simple. It, it's we, we were wrong. Brigham was wrong, right? I mean, we, we messed it up. And uh, I, think, I think you're right. I think it sets the stage for the fact that leaders can do things with their authority and power that, that are wrong and they can make mistakes. And, and I think it's our duty as members of the church to politely raise our voices of concern, right, against some of those things. And I think that's okay. I think that's, if we want to say that we're being, that we're a church that is in the process of being restored, then we have to do our duty to actually help with the restoration and not just sit there like sheep and follow. Now, I'm not suggesting we go and, and riot Temple Square, right, and, and do all these kinds of crazy things. But I am suggesting that we start to vocalize some of those things. And, and there are instances, I think, where the church has made changes based upon some of the force from the bottom up. But yeah, race of the priesthood, I think we got it wrong. I think, I, I think, Honestly, I use that as a talking point sometimes with members that say we should just do what the prophet asks, because if I was a member back in the 1860s or whenever, I, I would have hoped I would have stood up and say, hey, Brother Brigham, I, I disagree. I think this is wrong. Yeah, um, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, that and, probably doesn't end I, well for you, although I would have obviously honored your uh, conscience in being able to do that, but that probably wouldn't have gone well for you. The Whistling yeah, Whittlers no, would have sure. came after you. <laughs> Possibly so, yeah. But we have to get to a place, I think, in the church where we allow these different thoughts and ideas to be out there because that's how we craft um, good theology, I think, right, over time. Yeah. I, can I, I want to ask you a tough question. I hope, I yep. hope this is permitted. Um, I hope you don't feel like I'm, I'm coming at you. Knowing the race and priesthood issue inside and out, which I know you do, would, would you, I'm going to ask you if you think that your personal conscience— on how you make moral decisions of right and wrong and and what is right and wrong is is better than say those 15 collective men who were dealing with that issue in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and again, those are all different men. Men are dying, men are coming into that group. Right. So we're not talking about one guy and we're not talking about even a group of just 15 men. We're probably talking about 25 or 30 men, 40 men, 50 men over the course of that time span. Um, your thoughts on your conscience and ability to make choices of right and wrong versus simply obeying those 15 men, in which direction are you more likely to get your life right? Yeah, no, it's it's a fair question. And, and I think, you know, stop talking specifically to to blacks and the priesthood, right? I think that we have the benefit of hindsight. I don't know what it was like to live in 1940, 1950, right amidst all the civil rights and all those things going on. I, I mean, I grew up in East in East Texas for a while, and there were a lot of folks that were uh, still racist to this day, and so I saw some of that firsthand. But I don't know if I grew up in a, an environment like that, if I would have been like that. Now, I, I think what you're alluding to is, do I follow the prophet or do I follow my own conscience? And I will tell you, Bill, that I do not worship the prophet. I worship God. I do, but I still believe in God and I try to follow him with all my heart. And if the prophet says anything, it has to pass the litmus test of my conscience and my heart. And I tell people that and they, they get frustrated with me sometimes and they think that I'm trying to, to sway them away, but I'm not. I'm just saying, look, these 15 men, they're wise, intelligent men, right? They've got, most of them are very successful and they're smart guys. We should probably, if they've got something to say, we can, it's worth listening to a lot of times, I, I think. Um, though sometimes I, I can be repetitive, but, but it has to pass the sniff test for me, right? It has to pass my conscience and I have to recognize my own personal biases, but I, I would hope that, um, I would be true to my, my own heart and conscience at that time. And, 
I think I'm the only one that can lead my own life, right? The way that it's supposed to go based upon my weaknesses and my strengths. And that's between me and God, me and the Lord. Yeah. Um, and I'll follow that up by poking you in the modern times with an issue. And you probably maybe know which issue I'm going to go to, but let me, um, start by acknowledging that, um, what I, what I want to get at the heart of the issue. And cause I think, I think we all have to kind of wrestle with this idea, which is if I, if I take every time that me and the collective 15 disagree, if I choose to just be obedient or I choose to go with my conscience, in which scenario am I right? Most of the time, more of the time, less of the time, none of the time. And, and I want to, so I want to then ask about the LGBT issue and here we are 2021 and Mormonism was heavily persecuted in its early years. It was seen as this absurdity and everybody kind of ganged up on it and it caused some of its own issues too, no doubt. But we certainly had a persecution complex. We, we didn't like being picked on by those around us, nor the government. And there should have been some lessons that we learned in that. And then the race and priesthood happens and we do great damage to people, other human beings by painting stories of them being less than and taking away some of their tribal stories when it comes to like the Lamanites, for instance. And we should have learned serious lessons in that moment as an institution where we took a step back and, and, and really addressed whether we want to continue hurting people and marginalizing people who don't fit in the box that we've established when we've already acknowledged we're not very good at defining the box anyway. And so here we are in 2021 and the LGBT issue is we're right in the middle of it. Um, your thoughts on the LGBT issue first, and then I want you to respond, if you're willing, to the question of when there's a difference between Sam and the Collective 15, which, which decision-making process do you find to be, with hindsight, better at getting you to a place of being help, uh, healthy and responsible and a good citizen and a good human on, on this planet? Yeah, no, good question. So, so first on the LGBTQ issue, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, my wife and I are both, both very um, sympathetic and loving towards all of those. I, I, think, I think we're going the wrong direction on that. I, I think we've tried to make a few changes. Uh, then, of course, the November 2015 kind of reset some of those things, and, and that, was, that was tragic, right? I think we were making some reasonable progress. I think we have a lot more way to go. Um, I, I would love to get to the point where our LGBTQ brothers and sisters can come, they can attend, they can feel safe, they can feel like they can, you know, be there, active in a calling, all of those things, right? I mean, it, if the brethren came out tomorrow and said, you know, we're now permitting uh, gay marriage in the temple, I, I would I would be totally on board with all of that. I really would. Would you be happy? I mean, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, I know that's your answer. I guess I want to pause here because when people hear um, I would I would be gr um, great with that. If there's kind of this attitude sometimes that whatever the prophets do, I will get in line with. And and what guess what I'm asking is rather than just saying if they did it, I'll I'll be right with it. I'll be okay with it. Is this idea that I hope they do it? I I hope it happens. It's it's what I want, and and I celebrate it when it occurs. And I just want to give you a chance to kind of distinguish between those two messages. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Um... Having sat with with a, a good gay friend of ours, right, and who served a mission, who spent hours on his knees begging the Lord to remove these these feelings, right, from him, uh, and in tears as a thirty year old man in a in a restaurant, I, I just I can't see anyone trying harder than him, for example, to try and be the best Mormon that he can be. And I think for his own emotional safety, it's it's actually better for him to say. 
hey, I, I'm gay and that's how he wants to live his life. And that's, that's almost impossible for him to do in today's current structure of Mormonism. And yeah. so I would be happy for him. He's actually dating someone seriously right now. I would love to get, you know, a card in the mail from him that says, please come join us at our ceiling and we'll be there on this date. I, I think that would be wonderful and amazing. And and by the way, him and his his partner, sometimes I think we get this idea in Mormonism that you can't be, you can't have validity in the world because, you know, you're gay and you can't have kids. You're not, you know, populating the earth and all that. But there's so much goodness that he could do with his partner. I've seen partners adopt kids sometimes and they're amazing parents and all that kind of thing. So I, I would love to see it. I really would. But I also recognize that I am I am part of an organization, just like I am with my work, right? I work in a large company, a Fortune 100 company. I'm part of an organization that makes decisions that they think are best for the whole. And so those decisions aren't always what I want. And I might be right. I might be 100% right. But I, I can either be right and push the issue so hard that they fire me from the company <laughs> or from the church, so to speak, if you will. Or I can gently vocalize some of the things that I, I see and, and help others kind of slowly migrate to this idea. Right. Mm, and I'm yeah. not trying to do that to be, you know, apostasy or all of that. It's, it's, it's sincerely and authentically how I feel. And if I can't vocalize what I truly believe is right and good within the LDS walls, then boy, that's, that's a tragedy right there. Yeah. So, so uh, I, oh, go I ahead, Joe. Um, so Sam, could you distill it down to why, you, you, you know a lot, you, 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 and maybe the listeners don't understand that you, we all hear people who say, yeah, I've read the anti-Mormon literature, and yeah, I understand, but I'm still in it. And I do want people to know that's not you. You've actually done a deep dive into these things. You, you know the details, and you've chosen to stay. Why? What, what, could, could you just distill it down and tell people, what's your motivation? What, what is driving you to stay in the church? Yeah, yeah and I, I think... I'll use an analogy of of the church is like a hundred day cruise to Fiji, right? Um, we're we all started on, on we're all on the ship and we're excited and we've paid a lot of money to be on the ship and for the cruise and we're heading off to Fiji and we're super excited and the first the first few weeks are are fantastic we're loving it but along the way some of us some of us passengers start to notice that there's actually a, a virus that's broken out and some people are getting really sick right maybe even a few are dying. Um, we, we mentioned this to the captain and the crew, but they're like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. We've got our own doctors. We've got this taken care of. Um, maybe a few other passengers also noticed that, uh, there was a safety inspection that was overlooked and the holes got a crack in it, right? The actual ship has a, a little crack and they're, they're running the, the bulge pumps night and day to keep the water from coming up. But again, we bring that to the attention of the captain and the leadership. And they're like, ah, don't worry about it. We're, we're going to be okay. We're, we're going to get through this and we've got our own mechanics on this. Don't worry. It's all is well. Um, some people decide this is this is nuts, and they get off the ship. The next port stop, they're off. They fly home. They're, I'm done. I'm out. Um, and that's that's very tempting. And, and I think and I validate those people for doing that, right? Because that's a smart move, right? This ship could literally it's it's going down the wrong path. People are getting really sick. There's problems. Um, I consider that as well. But I also look at the ship, and man, my family's on here, and my friends, and people that I love and care for, and. Um, it is a good ship and it is a good crew. And I think that, that it actually could be a wonderful journey, but we just actually need to take the time to get the people healthy that are sick, maybe do some quarantining, uh, take the time to fix the cracks and the holes. Maybe, maybe we have to stop the journey for a week or so at one of the ports so that we can do that. The passengers will get upset. Some of them might want a refund. Some of them might leave, but it's, 
But that's what I'm trying to do is try and say, hey, I'm not just going to bail because a lot of my friends and family are like, heck no, Sam, you get off if you want, but we're staying. We love this cruise. We're here to stay. And so I'm trying to to help point the ship in the right direction and get it back to where it should be um, versus just getting off and saying, I, I'm done. But I, I, I validate both because the people that leave the ship, guess what? They send a message to the captain and crew that you're doing a lousy job and this isn't working, right? And eventually enough people can leave the ship and they can't afford to run their cruises anymore. That's one option. But another option is, is we fix the ship, we ride it, and it actually becomes something beautiful and meaningful with my tribe on board. So that's kind of why I stay. I know that might sound crazy, but um, but I'm, I'm on the ship to try and help. I want to make it better. There's so much good. There, there is a lot of good. I know people, I know listeners might say, no, there's no good in the church. I, I disagree. I think there's a lot of good, a lot of good human beings. Well, I disagree too. Um, and, and we've had long discussions about this. We, we, we tend to throw everything, everything out with the, uh, w- when we leave the church, it's like, oh, everything's bad. And for me, I went on, I went on a, a deep dive of my spiritual experiences betrayed me. And so trying to experience truth, trying to learn truth, I, I try to get rid of emotion and get rid of anything spiritual and just focus on sustaining judgment and, uh, and being objective and being a scientist. And that, did, that doesn't work. Our, our minds are not scientists. They're attorneys. Actually, they're more like White House press secretaries explaining why everything the president's doing is right. And when I try to take all emotion out and all spirituality, I couldn't live instinctually. I, I, you, have to, you have to bring emotion back in. And one of the biggest things that I've found that has helped my life is to focus on catching the, the, the fire, the, rekindling that fire in, inside of me. Uh, and I don't want to call it the spirit. I mean, but that's basically what it, what it is. You know, when you were faithful, you knew when you felt this energy and when you felt it, you wanted to serve and make the world a better place. You see the beauty on faces and everything around you. And there is an opposite to that, this contracting energy. And when you feel that, work seems like a burden instead of an opportunity. There's just, and everything is just gross. You don't see beauty anywhere. Uh, and and that, that principle of, of, of trying to stay in the light of Christ still is, is, is still a universe, in my opinion, is still a universal uh, thing that our that our minds crave and need one of our primal emotional needs and for me when i left the church so many of so so much of my schema was tied to it that you threw everything out but without understanding that the the church fills so many of these core primal emotional needs that you have and uh and a lot of times in a good way so i i can understand the utility of why people would would stay in Uh, and and when somebody somebody leaves my, my brother is on the ship trying to help those. And, and I really want to help those who have left. There's a painful experience. And Bill, I hope we can talk about what you've learned, about what you can tell those who have left to lower the pain. But man, your, your primal emotional needs of having a, having a tribe, having service, meaningful work, a purpose, so many things were tied into something and now they're gone. And it takes a lot of time to reconstruct that. But eventually I've come full circle to where I stopped trying to be so objective. And I realized that I need to be able to live with instinct and I need, and, and I need, and, and I love focusing on stepping into the, to the fire of man and, and having that fire in my heart uh, and stepping into that good energy. And, and, and a lot of times when people leave the church, they just throw out all the spirituality and, uh, and call it good, but they suffer. And I suffered. And my mission president 
asked me, he said, Elder, what are you gonna what are you gonna do about your about spirituality? And when I heard that at the time, it felt like an abusive partner saying, Well, what are you gonna do? There's nobody else. You gotta find someone better than me. What have you found? And it felt it felt like a, almost like an attack, like a horrible thing. Uh, but it's true. We, we, we have to learn there are some core needs being met in the church. And, it's, and when you leave, one of my advice is just to, to relax, understand what emotional needs you are devoid of now, and focus on filling those instead of getting caught up in this negative energy, wanting to attack things. Uh, and realize your brain is going to be we need to have these heuristics in our mind. We need to make, have, a, a, your brain's going to be religious about something, whether you choose to or not. And Frederick Nietzsche said, the brain wants purpose so bad, it'll choose nihilism over no purpose at all. You, you can't live in suspense. You can't live as a scientist. You're going to make decisions. And man, it's, it's, we got to learn how to, how to operate in this, this body. Yeah, I've got some advice. I'll save that till the end. We can kind of wrap up maybe with some closing thoughts with each of us and talk about it there. Um, I love I love these little sidetracks we're going on. And I mean that. To hear us go off of kind of the script per se and have you two kind of talk to each other and ask each other questions is, I think, what is going to be most enjoyable to the listening audience as they as they listen to this episode. Going back to the LGBT issue, Sam, I, I hear you say essentially... I hope for a day and, I, and you go, look, I think I'm right, but maybe, maybe I'm not, but I hope I'm right. And I, I think I'm right that we need to get to a place where these folks can fully participate and come to church and feel no shame or judgment because they're different in that way. Do I, do I hear you right? Yes. Okay. All right. And, and I, think, I think we've said enough on that issue. And I think you kind of agreeing to that kind of closes out kind of, I think everybody will understand where you're coming from. All right, polygamy, um, Joseph Smith's polygamy specifically, and what that looked like with the various women and how that impacted Emma and how he um, practiced it or behaved in Emma's view and outside of Emma's view. And you know the stories, the young women, yeah, yeah. The, the women that are already married. Um, your thoughts on Joseph Smith's polygamy? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the most deep and and tough issues to understand fully. I, I've read tons of the history and the, you know, all the young women and those kinds of things and, and many, right. Women, obviously there's different counts depending on who you talk to. Uh, I, I think if, if, it, if he truly felt it was from God, he sure botched it up is what I think. But I, I, I also think that it's quite possible that that's something that he laid into his theology, that, that he felt like he was trying to kind of restore the biblical narrative, right? And he saw polygamy in the Bible and, and some of those kinds of things. And um, I think it's quite possible that he abused his power and authority in that aspect. And, and, that's, and if that's truly true, then that's, that's, that's atrocious. But it's, it's hard to know. It's so hard to know like what what really was in his heart at the time, what he was going after. Um, I, I get it, right? The critics will say he's obviously trying to manipulate and, and, I, and I see evidence of some of that, right? And abuse, abuse his power. Um, I, I do think he was, obviously he was dishonest on many occasions, right? Whether it was with Emma or, or the way that he went about this. Um, so I, I don't really have a good defense of that. I mean, part of me says he just screwed it all up and it was a big mistake and he, was using his position to implement something that he thought would help him. Um, but there's other cases where, you know, you see him taking on wives that it was, it, you know, it wasn't for the, it wasn't for the intimacy or anything like that. And so it's so hard to know 
the intentions of Joseph's heart. Because on the one hand, you see these, these horrible things, frankly, being done. But on the other hand, honest to goodness, Bill, and some people won't like hearing me say this, but I, some of the things that he put in his, his revelations, as he called them, or the Book of Mormon or whatever, it's beautiful. And they're, they're good principles. They speak to me. You know, um, It's kind of like Mozart, right? Mozart created beautiful, amazing music. And I can listen to it and I can be touched and inspired. But, you know, a lot of people may not know he was a sexual deviant and he was, he was kind of a, you know, not the best person. And so it's this complexity of saying I can have a bad person in some cases or someone that behaves poorly, I can still get good things from them. And I think that's true for all of us, right? But, uh, you know, do I excuse some of that behavior um, if it's, if it was truly as atrocious as some of the critics make it out to be, then absolutely not. I don't excuse it at all. And I think there's evidence that there was some, some poor judgment and dishonesty along the way, for sure. Um, but I, there, there's so much there that it's hard to know exactly what, what, where his heart was. Yeah. And, um, well, and go ahead, can, so it's, this, this is a really comfortable environment, and uh, it's, it's easy to discuss things. Could you, could you communicate, though, to the listeners the, the amount of pain that you've personally gone through in this? Um, because just, just hearing you talk, uh, you know, you we're kind of having an intellectual discussion, but man, you've, I, I know you've gone through some, some, uh, tough times and, uh, and, and for those that you're trying to minister to, to help, they, they're going to have a lot of pain too. And, and they might be able to resonate with the pain that you've experienced. That's directed at me. Yes. Just, yeah. I, I think, um, <laughs> I mean, Go, re, no, talk about no, the pain that you've had in this process. Yeah, the the uh, I, only those listeners that have understood and read and gone through these things will understand. But it's it's what Bill alluded to earlier, right? That the pain and the sleepless nights and the dark night of the soul. I, I mean, I have spent hours and hours, and and it's hard because you know my wife, who's for the most part still TBM, right? She's she's pretty progressive on things like LGBTQ and others, but for the most part, she's still very progressive. It's hard sometimes because I felt very alone. You know, I'm listening to these podcasts, I'm reading all these books, I'm driving home from work, and I'm dissecting all these things in my mind, and I'm alone, right? And I feel like, you know, Bill's a busy guy, I can't just call it Bill every afternoon. So I, I have to, I have to kind of process all this. And it's, and it's very dark, it's very lonely. And, um, but, but at the same time, I also know that I'm, I'm working, I'm really working hard to discover what's true and what's real. And I'm, and I'm trying to be as authentic as I can with, with God. Right. If there if there is a God and I believe that there is, then I'm I'm trying to do my best to find out what's right and to live my life according to that truth. And I think that's the case for many folks that spend, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of hours on this. And uh, it's it's been this has been one of the hardest things I've gone through for sure. And I've gone through some pretty hard things in my life. Yeah, I, I think it's coming across in the interview. But I just also want to say that, Sam, I I've known you through over these years I've seen you interact. You and I have had conversations in social media and other places. I know you well enough that I don't. I don't want the audience to discount you as oh, there's just uh, there's just a believing faithful member who who thinks he knows the issues, but he really hasn't dived in deep. As Joe's alluding to, you've done the real work. Any issue I bring up, I think you're going to know it, and and I'm I don't have a sense that you're naive to any dark closet in the church's history that you well understand how messy this gets and what the 
repercussions and consequences of, of each of these truth claims founded on historical events. I, yeah. And I think the audience needs to know that. I think they feel that already by the conversation, the conversation as it's taking place. But I think that if I can just add my voice to it, you know the church's history well. You've read all the same things I have. It's not like Joe read it all, figured it out. You've read 70% of it and you're still in. You know the history too. And I think Joe's trying to essentially point to that as well and give you a chance yeah. to make that clear to the audience. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I remember listening to, to David Bakavoy, right? Here's a, he's got his PhD from Brandeis in biblical studies, right? The guy's extremely smart, studied all the history. And he, he's extremely compassionate and empathetic towards the views, the historical stuff in the church. It was, it was interesting to hear him because he said at the end of the day, he didn't leave over the history. He left over the November 2015 policy, right? That, that impacted him. And, and that's fair. And I'm trying to make space to, to basically have a very wide belief. I want people to be in the church and go, you know, I don't, I don't believe the Book of Mormon is historical. Fine. I don't care. I, don't, I think Joseph Smith was completely wrong in polygamy. Fine. You can still be an active member of the church. And by the way, I think technically you still can be an active member of the church. I, I know I know I haven't been kicked out of the church yet. I don't openly share some of these beliefs as much as as maybe I, I should sometimes. But my, my point is, is I consider myself going back to the cruise ship analogy, right, is my brother Joe just got off the ship and he's on the dock and he's out. He's He said this ship's going down or people are getting sick and I'm still on the ship. People are coming to me and they're going, hey, Joe got off the ship. What the heck? Why did he do that? And I'll go, I know exactly why he got off the ship. I understand it. And we need to do a better job at you know, fixing the virus if we're all sick or we need to get those mechanics to actually stop this this ship and let's take care of the foundational problems, right? Let's let's fix it. Let's right this ship. I mean, Bill and Joe, I think both of you would agree in, in theory, this is probably a long stretch, but the church has the ability to fix itself. It's one of the few religions that that has this concept of ongoing revelation. We can change things. We can fix that. We can right the wrongs and those kinds of things. Um, and I, I believe it can become something that's quite beautiful. It has a wonderful community and uh, lots of good things within it, but uh, it's, it's a, it's a tall order because there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that. And, and I would agree in theory, I would agree. My biggest hang up is that the ship's crew wants to fix the ship in the shadows and doesn't want to tell the people on board that the problems actually exist. And so it tries to keep as many of the, passengers naive and ignorant to the damage that the ship is taking on. And it tries to keep the passengers naive and ignorant to the fact that there is a virus and there are people who are sick. And it wants everybody to think that the cruise is going along beautifully. And, and that level of deception is something I couldn't tolerate for one. And then I want to also just note too, that when the November, right before, so November 4th, 2015, the day before, I felt like, okay, the history probably doesn't add up right. The church may not be true in terms of its historical truth claims, but I do think this thing is beautiful and I like the direction it's going in and I'm going to hang on and stay on the ship just like you did. When the November 5th, 2015 policy happened, it struck me as, oh, these this entity may choose to not go in the right direction for all the wrong reasons. And it has an inability to kind of be accountable to itself and to its members. And, and that, that moment um, was very, very much an impetus for me deciding that the church may not be true. And, and, and again, I'm only speaking for myself and probably isn't, but it also may not be good. 
at least at least in significant pieces and parts of it where it can't help but notice that it is deeply harming and marginalizing and hurting people who don't fit the expectation. And so that also was an impetus for me to get off the ship, um, if that makes sense. And again, I, I also honor yeah. you staying on, but I wanted to explain that, yes, I agree with you in theory, but there's two reasons why I personally couldn't stay on the ship. Yeah, 100% validate that. And it, and it and it breaks my heart, frankly, that when that came out, because a lot of good men went down that day and women, right? But, you know, it's it's tragic, right? And so I, I validate and have no issue with you saying, hey, this isn't for me. And um, again, I'm, I'm on board to raise awareness and try to help affect change within. I think those that leave help affect change by leaving. That sends a clear message. But um, no, I, I, I completely validate what you're saying there, Bill. Yeah. And I want to, so we're bouncing around. I want to go back to say something about what you said about polygamy, because I think it's an important point you made. We have this idea in the church, this surface level concept that God will take weak things and accomplish miraculous, beautiful, awesome things from that. And when we were pointing to Joseph Smith's polygamy, you were like, look, some of this stuff looks like predatory. And again, you didn't use these words. These are my words, but look like predatory behavior. Some of these things look like him serving his own purpose. Some of these things look deeply immoral. looks like a lot of manipulation. It looks like a lot of mechanisms that don't feel good to me. But you also acknowledge that um, God may have the ability and even says he's doing this very thing, which is he's taking the weak things and doing great things from it. And I think members of the church see that at a surface level, like, oh, prophets are fallible, but they still do, you know, really beautiful things and we still get the word of God from them. But what you're saying is something I think different. And I just, I want to ask you if I'm hitting it on, if I'm, if I'm nailing the concept right, which is God may actually take somebody whose behavior is essentially a scoundrel and God may accomplish great purposes from that. And that you at least, and I hear you saying this balanced view of like, maybe, maybe not. The data certainly troubles me, but I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what his motives were. I don't know exactly what was going on. But from what I can see and read and look at, it certainly doesn't look good. And it looks it looks deeply unhealthy. And, and, I, and, I, and again, I asked Jim Bennett this question. I said, Jim, would you let your daughter, if your daughter is 14 years old, would you let her hang out at the Smith home knowing what you know? And he said no, but he gave a different reason for why his no was a no. And, and my gut tells me you would say no because your, your morality and conscience, conscience says, uh, I, I'm, I'm skeptical enough of Joseph Smith's behavior that I wouldn't trust my kid at his house. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I would... You know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think Joseph, again, kind of like Mozart, right? He he produced, I think, some some amazing theology and beautiful things and scriptures. And it's, I mean, the, the Book of Mormon, even if, it, if even if we say, hey, it was Joseph Smith's creation, it's pretty impressive, right? It's got some cool stuff in there. It's it's definitely got some good principles, and and I, and I can I can appreciate that, even as scripture. Even if I even if I'm a member that says, hey, I don't believe, I think Joseph Smith made this up. I can still say, but I think it can be good scripture for our church to follow, right? I can still do that. Um, as, as long as you have freedom to also throw out the pieces that aren't healthy, right? Absolutely. Right. Yes. Like the, the you know, the, the pure white and all that kind of stuff. I understand. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know how much God was directly trying to make all of this happen. I think God, in many cases, lets his people, lets his children do what they got to do on the earth. And when there's goodness and beauty that they put forth, he's happy. And when it's evil and wicked, you know, that's, 
that's them being stupid and 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 vile and whatnot. And so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is Joseph could have done some very horrible things, and I can acknowledge the evidence that's there to support that. Um, but he can also do some really wonderful and beautiful things, and I can acknowledge and support that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think too many of us, you know, like my 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 friend that committed adultery that I talked about earlier. So many in my ward wanted to say he's evil. He's don't ever talk to him. There were literally people that shunned him, and and I just don't see people like that. He can be yeah. good. He can be bad. Um, and and I'll take the good, and we'll we'll talk about the bad, and we'll try and help improve it because that's that's what life's all about. And so I think Joseph, um, you know, I don't know exactly what happened in his intentions again, but I, I I do think that there's a lot of problems there. That's one of the deep dark places of our history. Yeah. Um, but hey, I, I love a lot of the beauty that's that's out there. Yeah, that that none of us are all good or all bad. Each of us have unhealthiness and righteousness within us, and that even for people who may even be more significantly bad or unhealthy than the rest of us collectively, that there's still good that comes out of their lives. And some of that, some of that can even be um, God directed maybe, or God appreciated at least. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Okay, cool. Love it. Last one I want to ask about, you've already touched on it. I'll just give you a chance to say more if you want to, which is just the historicity of our scriptural canon, Book of Mormon, Book of Abraham specifically. You know the the issues with the Bible translation and and um, uh, Adam Clark's commentary and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to get into every one of those, but just the idea of like the stories we tell, the global flood, the Tower of Babel, the you know Nephite transoceanic voyage. Um, again, I know you know the issues there. Book of Mormon, Book of Abraham, the translation methods, what we got, how we know the translation occurred, what data we have, you know, Brian Haglid, Robert Rittner, all that stuff. Um, your thoughts on the historicity of the narrative and and maybe connect that to the historicity of the Book of Mormon and Book of Abraham and what your thoughts are on historicity. Because Mormonism, if Mormonism didn't have any evidence against it, Mormonism would have touted these stories as literal forever and ever and ever, and probably still is trying to hold that ground to a large degree, although little by little making some space, right? Translation means revelation. Um, But when science and when data and when real history comes in conflict, we seem to find ways to back off of, at least in apologetic circles, back off the historicity of these stories and to some degree, these scriptural texts. Your thoughts on historicity? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Patrick Mason said it well when he said we've, we've put way too many apples in the apple cart of truth, right? I forget how he said it, but we, we've gone way too far in loading up our truth basket to the point where it's tipping over. And I, I really hope that the church is able to back more and more off of these definitive historical claims. I mean, there, there were people that were excommunicated back in the 90s, right, over some of the things like like talking about global floods and and evolution and these kinds of things and and those are things that we kind of openly say now that yeah those are you know we can believe in evolution and those kinds of things so i feel like we anytime we create boundaries and put a box and say this is certain we're setting ourselves up for for big problems right because uh, like for example i've got i've got a, a son who's extremely intellectual he'll spend hours and hours on youtube studying deep space and you know, travel and time space continuum and all these things, there is no way I can come to him with a 6,000 year old earth or any of that kind of theology. It just, it will not work. Um, so I have to create much more space and openness that, that does allow science to thrive. And I think that was Joseph Smith's initial intent. At least that's what he said it was, right? Truth is Mormonism. If there's truth, let us find it wherever it might be, right? Um, or, or, you know, 
President Irene talked about his dad saying, you don't have to believe anything in this church that, that isn't true. I hold to those beliefs, right? And that's why I'm trying to kind of right the ship the best that I can and say, hey, we're, we're not on the, the truth path in all these places. Let's go fix this. And uh, yeah. I hope we can, but it, it is going to be a tough road to hoe. I want to ask you a question on that because that's a great point. This idea that in Mormonism, there is this concept that we want truth wherever it is. We want to, wherever, whatever corners of the earth truth is in, we want to grab it and hold on to it and pull it in and make it part of our, our, our entity, make it part of Mormonism. And I, I see that, but I don't, I don't see it when the rubber meets the road. And so do you, do you sense that these 15 men collectively are willing to let their assumptions go willing to let the consequences fall where they may and allow truth to come in as quick as they can grab it? Uh, definitely not as quick as, as you or I might want. But, but I want to add a, a comment on that because I, I tend to have a little bit more sympathy in, towards the brethren than, than you know maybe some of the folks that have left. And I truly believe that in many, many cases, they, they actually believe a lot, of, a lot of the narratives, right? And they believe what, and they, they might have some nuanced views, but, <clears throat> you know, Bill, how many hours have you spent studying Mormonism? A hundred thousand hours. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's more than anybody should have to. Do you believe that the top 15 have spent as much time as you have studying the historicity of Mormonism and all the, all the things around it? Not even a hundredth. Of what yeah, I've and, 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 and that's fair. And, and I think, and the reason for that probably is because these guys are, they're, they're administering the church, right? They're doing the, the day-to-day operational. I mean, they're, they're talking all the time. And so I think sometimes for those of us like you and, and Joe and myself that have gone down the rabbit hole and spent thousands of hours on this stuff, we get frustrated because, you know, we're like the mechanics or the engineers on the ship that see these problems. We're like, well, you've got a big problem here, but, but these I don't think the brethren, in some cases, I don't think they've done the in-depth study that we have. And so they don't see it as maybe as clearly as we do. And I do think it it's slowly making its way to them. I mean, we have seen like the essays come out and those kinds of things, right? And a lot of that is in response to people like you and me and, and Joe finding these things out and starting to to ask a lot of questions, a lot of hard questions, right? So it is evolving. It's just my concern is, is it's not evolving at the rate fast enough to actually stem the tide of those that might decide to leave. And I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I'm not trying to say I, I don't want, well, I, I want people to have a community. I want them to have a safe place to be. I want the cruise to Fiji to be amazing. And uh, my family and my tribe is there, my friends. Um, I would love to transform it into something beautiful, but I, I validate that it's, it's not there right now. And for many, the pace at which the repairs on the ship are being done and the virus are being cured is, is not fast enough. And so they're out. I yeah, and, and validate that. Yeah. And lots of people are just enjoying the cruise as it is. And they think they're having a great time. Right. And folks like you and me, the moment we see a small little crack, we start walking around, we start looking, we start going down the steps down into the bottom parts of the ship. And, you know, we're noticing problems and we we're trying to tell other people that there's something going wrong here. And, uh, and, but those folks are just enjoying the cruise they paid for. They're yeah. just having a good time and they're not going to stop and, and spend half a day walking around. And they're sure, sure as heck not going to spend weeks and weeks on the cruise walking around the ship trying to investigate every little, every little dent and crack and every little person in the, in the medical facility who's got a virus, right? Yeah. And, and in some ways, in some ways, it would almost be wrong for us to like, you know, start yelling and screaming and cause panic on the ship. But as you and I both know, when we're sitting by the pool on the ship and trying to enjoy the cruise with everybody else while they're having fun and, and eating caviar, we're sitting there going, man, 
this thing could sink any day. Yeah. And there's people I could get sick tomorrow. My kids could get sick. This is, this is problematic. We probably anxiety is rising. Anxiety. Yeah. yeah. And the sleepless nights, right. We're worried about this thing. So it's, it's, it's making that transformation. And I really do hope that the church can do that. I, I have hopes for creating that space. I, I, I want people to be able to openly talk about these things. And in some cases, it's not a problem so much with the brethren as it is a problem with the members. I, I go to my Sunday school and there are certain members in there where if I st- stood up and said something to the effect of, I, I don't believe the book of Abraham, for example, is you know was was translated. I think that it's something that Joseph Smith kind of created. I I mean, they would get upset, right? They wouldn't give me that. They wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't grant me that space to be there. And I want to get to the place where we can. I would love for the brethren to come out, for example, and say on the pulpit in conference and say, you know, brothers and sisters, we have a church that is full of members of multiple beliefs all the way up and to including non-belief in historical Book of Mormon or Book of Abraham to all these things. We need to make sure that we, we validate that those are different beliefs that can still sit within the same church. Yeah. Um, and I hope we can get there. Cool. I'll ask you one more thing and then we'll get to these last two ideas we want to cover, which is, and, and Joe kind of already asked you this, so we can hit on this a little more, why you stay and then your hope for the future. The last thing I want to talk about is just profits in general. And it's this idea that you just said, which is these guys don't come around to these things. You and I, uh, Joe, we put all the time in, we read everything, we've we've evaluated all these issues. And so we're able to arrive at like, oh, that's unhealthy and not not where we should be, maybe quicker than those 15 men do, at least collectively. And I'm sure among those 15, there are some who go like, ah, I don't like the track we're on, but I'm one guy and we have to be unified. And right. so he gets to share his dissent, but nothing changes until all 15 men decide to do it. So I grant that there may be some nuance among the 15 and certainly is. But also, they if, if the church is what it claims, they also have a tool on their side that the three of us don't have, which is they have God. Uh, they are the mouthpiece of Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and they are to discern God's will and His voice for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so, if they are really prophets, seers, and revelators, they also have an advantage to arrive at the truth faster than the collective world. And it seems, and I think you would agree, they're often, on social issues specifically, decades behind the healthy movement of the world towards wrapping its head around an issue. And they tend to show up 40 years later and say like, oh, we finally figured it out. That wasn't healthy what we were doing. And now we're going to start doing it right. And I assume you kind of agree with that, right? Yeah, I, I think in, in many cases, there it, it feels like we're behind. Yeah. Okay. So when we, I ask you about profits, how do you how do you make that work in terms of leaning on these guys to give you God's will, but also knowing that generally you arrive at maybe at least the healthy perspective on social issues way faster than they do? Um, shouldn't these guys be first uh, first to the conversation at least once in a while if they really do have these supernatural abilities to access thoughts from God that the rest of us don't even have permission to get for the church. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard question. And, and I think it points to, you know, uh, we call it TCM where I work, which is transition change management, right? It's managing the change and transition of an organization or structure from one idea to another. And it, it takes a lot of time and, um, and there, there can be a lot of damage done along the way if it's not done carefully. So I, I think sometimes the brethren look at something, and they did this with Blacks and the Priesthood, by the way, right? They would come, they would talk about, hey, I, 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 don't, I don't know that this has validity. 
I don't know that it makes sense. We should talk about removing it. I think they talked about removing it as early as like 1945 or something like that, right? So, so there's this idea of, hey, we need to make a change. We're, we're on the wrong path. And then it takes 15 years or 25 years to, to implement it, right? And so that's, that's too slow for you and me, certainly. And I think part of it is getting the membership to kind of go along, um, which, which is sad to say, right? I, I mean, there are many members in the church that still believe, obviously, that LGBTQ and all those things are, are, are wrong and all of that. And we have to respect those beliefs. And, and maybe the brethren are trying to kind of weigh out what the damage would be if they came out tomorrow, right? And said, we're lifting all, all bans on any kind of thing related to LGBTQ. But uh, I think that's, that's something they have to battle. And you and I could argue whether or not that's really God, or if that's just them trying to, you know, manage a large organization that they want to keep, keep on, keep on going, right? Keep the people yeah. on the cruise ship, right? We've yeah. got these folks that are having a good time. And so there's, there might be some perverse incentive there in some cases, right? Or some bias that causes them to maybe not come out with the, the right way things are. But I, I also yeah. believe like the 15, I mean, these men grew up, many of them in the forties, fifties and sixties, right? Back when Spencer W. Kimball and the miracle of forgiveness and all of these ideas and things were still out there. And so I think, you know, removing some of that veneer off of their their own thoughts about these things is difficult sometimes, right? Uh, so I, I, at the end of the day, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think they can be inspired if they sincerely and truly seek it out. I think they are hesitant at times maybe to to do certain things because as Joseph Smith said, if I told these people all the truths, they would shatter like glass, right? Or something to that effect, because he knew all these things and, and where he wanted things to go, but yet he felt like, hey, I can't just just tell the people how it is. They're gonna they're gonna leave the church in droves, right? Potentially. And and maybe that's the wrong reason to not speak what's right. But um I think we have to allow space for some of that complexity that they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And you're hitting it there at the end, which is maybe they're weighing the number of people that would leave the entity, leave the church. And we could debate the validity of temple ordinances, for instance, and yeah. and whether being in the church is really um, as stabilizing as living a life outside the church, right? Like if Joe is knocking it out of the park now after he's deconstructed and, and left the church and had some time to kind of do this his own way, and he's figured it out and he's le- leading a happy, healthy, growing, progressing kind of life, then maybe people leaving isn't necessarily bad and not saying necessarily that it's good either. But on the other side, there's certain kinds of damage when you hold on to unhealthy ideas for decades past their yeah. past their usefulness, right? Where we are debating how many LGBT kids take their lives or yeah. how many people of color felt shame and judgment and received trauma. And as you're pointing out, maybe there needs to be a conversation about which of those is really more valuable in the human experience. Being in the church believing even if those beliefs aren't all true versus leaving and getting away from the shame and the judgment and the unhealthy messaging and whether whether the church should move faster to reduce the suffering but also to have people leave at a faster rate or whether pe- they should hang on to people and allow people to suffer and and again I have my own two cents and I think where Christ would fall yeah. um and I think and I think I think you do too. And I, I don't want to put you, you know, throw you on the bus, but do you have any thoughts there? Otherwise we'll move on. Yeah, I, I think it's the complexity of, 
of doing what's right at the right time in the right place and all of those things that come with it. And I, I certainly don't pretend to, to know the mind of the brethren and what they're, they're thinking and going through. I, I think in some cases they are aware that maybe they should push things a little bit harder or faster, um, but that they are weighing out also some membership and some of those things. I, and that's, that's tough. I don't know, you know, and on the other hand too, you know, here we are in the United States, you know, intelligent, educated men and all of that. And we're looking at Mormonism with a certain lens. And, I, you know, I served my mission in South America. The folks down there could barely grasp the concept of, of Joseph Smith and the priesthood or these basic, basic, basic things, right? And, and they're just trying to work and make their $8 a day and come home and feed their family, right? So, so for them, the, the primary type structure of Mormonism, it works, right? And I think, I think you, you mentioned in your journey that it worked fabulously for you in your early years. And I think it worked fabulous for me. For the most part, there was, I think I look back and I can see now some toxicity that happened, but for the most part, it was very effective in, in creating me. And I, and I think Joe would probably agree that it helped him in his early years. But at some point you, you come to the crossroads and you recognize that, wow, you're starting to see those cracks. You're starting to see people get sick and you're recognizing that there's some unhealthiness here. And so it's how fast can the, can the brethren and the leadership actually help us all understand without jumping off the ship, um, that's, that's kind of a moral dilemma to some extent, right, for them. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and maybe, like you said, the right thing to do would be to come out and say, here's exactly how it is and blah, 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 and just take the consequences. But um, there, there also might be some wisdom and even morality to some extent in saying, hey, we're going to ease into this so that we can bring people along with us. Because part of this is educating and helping people understand the changes that need to happen. And that takes time. Good, good. All right. Let me ask Joe a question and then I'll ask you the opposite question. Um, Joe, why did you leave? I left because um, it, it wasn't true. I mean, that's, that's the, the gist of it, right? We, I, my, mine came down to um, the Book of Mormon was a big one. You know, I, yeah, seeing I, uh, why would there be a Joseph Smith translation in the King James Bible? And then Jesus would come and say the 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 the, form, the 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 wrong translation to the Nephites and uh, that 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 kind of started some cracks. But the main reason why I left after I discovered that it was wasn't correct was that my I didn't want my children getting wrapped up into it. Uh, my oldest was about to turn eight. That that was the impetus for me. Um, but it, it I mean I, I can go into the I don't want to go into the boring details of the doctrine. But really, hearing the uh, Swedish rescue was a big was a big thing. I think a lot of people uh, that that affected because up until I I heard that I was only reading Mormon approved stuff and when I heard the leaders basically confess to these things that that was a big thing and then then uh, during the Mitt Romney time and Elder Holland kind of was being a little dishonest on that BBC interview that that was that was devastating to me I called my dad up and was like were there really the, those blood oaths and 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 as for as much as I I mean I I uh, after that I allowed myself to really study and and. And I just really want to know the truth. That's that's it. The truth will set you free, and I and we shouldn't be afraid of it. And President Hinckley said that too. You know, you shouldn't be afraid of the truth. But I, I do want to be a little careful to think that uh, we, we all we all tend to think that our experiences are exceptional. You know, and and that uh, I mean, our brain thinks in hyperbole. It has to blow things up. We are the center of our universe. I don't know if my experience was anything uh, diff- different than a lot of people, but but I, I certainly wanted to hold on. To integrity, like I, 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 I wasn't drinking or doing anything bad. I was still full, you know, a full temple-worthy member and stuff. But, uh, but man, I, and, and it's, it's, this is really interesting experience because 
I have enough distance between myself and the church now to where I, I don't think about these concepts and, and listening to uh, you two discuss the church and the brethren. And, and uh, I, it, there's such a, there's such a heaviness here for me that, man, I do not miss it at all. I, I do not miss uh, trying to make it work. I, uh, the amount of mental gymnastics is, is exhausting. And um, that being said, uh, you know, my, my brother is, I, I, I wish, wish him the best of, of luck in, in what he's trying to do here. But man, I'm just exhausted listening to this, you know, trying to, trying to make it work. Uh, but man, uh, he's protecting our tribe. He's, he's helping those we love and I want to help those. And Bill, you want to help those that, that leave and man, but this is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, the conversation has been um, fun for me to sit and listen to and to be allowed to poke a little holes. And then you, you know, you're jumping in and then giving your brother a question and to see you two kind yeah. of have a conversation with each other is actually, I think, um, really cool and interesting and something that I have not seen happen in a, in a podcast episode around Mormonism. You know, um, well, I didn't ask the question very well. Let, let me just say one thing. Uh, we, we, when, some, when we uh, have something that happens to us in order to affect change, we, we have to almost exaggerate it to, to make it a, a bigger deal. So when I was going through this stuff, I almost thought that the church was the biggest, the, the worst thing in the whole world. Oh my goodness, this, how, how could it be so bad? Um, and, and our brain does that, you know, the, the, the abused wife has to think of their, her abuser as the worst monster in the whole world. And that's just to affect action, to affect change. And now seven years later, she can look back and say, well, he was an ass, but you know, maybe not the worst monster in the world. And for me, I, I can look back and say, well, the church isn't, the church does a lot of good, you know, it's, but I'm to the point now where it's just another church. And I thought my experience was exceptional. I thought being raised in a church was, was a gift. My family is a gift. My brother is a gift. My sisters are a gift. The people who love me are the gift. And uh, yeah, so, but, and, and so part of me does wonder with my brother um, if he, he, he went through this pain, but, but never, I, I'm not sure if he allowed himself to say, wow, this church is reaching that point where you think in hyperbole, wow, this is one of the most horrible organizations in the world. Kind of on the opposite, he's, he's kind of seen the, the abusive things happening and saying, okay, I'm in this abusive relationship. This is stopping and we're going to, we're going to work this out, but that that's for him to answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I would just highlight I, when I teach my kids, right. And I've got five kids. So when I, when I talk to my kids, I talk to them about how you can shield yourself from some of that toxicity. Right. And that's, that's tricky to navigate within Mormonism, but what we're basically trying to do is say, Hey, if, if they teach you this about LGBTQ, or if they teach you that about historical things, these are things that you can, let's talk about those things. Let's be authentic. And so rather than trying to quote unquote, make it work, I'm not really trying to make it work. I, I did try that for quite some time. And I think there's a lot of places where you just can't make it work, right? You can't make the traditional narrative fit what, what, is, what is reality, what is truth based on science and the evidence and all those things. So in many cases, instead of just trying to make it work, I'm trying to make space. I'm trying to expand what members can and should be able to believe within this church. And I'm trying to help us re-navigate Fix the, fix the holes in the cracks, right? Oh, I love it. Um, and I'll just share my two cents here and then I'll ask you why you stay, which is I, I've sat down with people at dinner who are in that early time after leaving and they are angry. They're mad. They're furious. They're hurt, 
hurt like nobody can even understand. And their their agenda is let's burn the whole thing down. Let's burn it down. And and for all the reasons we could debate whether that's good or not, I'll simply say this, which is if if you exhaust your energy in the idea of burning it down, and and as Joe just pointed to, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. And when you take your last and final breath, Mormonism will still be standing there needing to make more changes that you wish it had made. If you spend your life trying to burn it down, you're the one who's going to die your dying breath with a lot of turmoil inside. You're going to be the one who's frustrated that things didn't go the way you wanted them to. And so for folks who leave, like go through that stage as long as you need to, but also realize you're allowed to leave that stage and you yeah. can just move on with your life and be happy and find, because when you leave Mormonism, it's essentially rips your identity from you. And now you don't know who you even are. And so you have to spend so much time just trying to figure yourself out. But I can tell you on the back end of this, having you know done that journey and here I am today, um, me and my wife don't talk Mormonism ever. We, I, don't, I don't sit with my kids and talk Mormonism ever. I do it on the podcast. I put some social media posts out and otherwise my life is free and clear and I'm happy. And I'm not worried about whether Mormonism burns down or not. I don't think it ever will. It's going to be here a thousand years from now, um, still doing its thing and still having some unhealthiness to it. So I think we all have to just learn to move on for those who leave. We have to learn to move on and claim back our own lives. And really that's the greatest statement someone like Joe can make. And he's done, which is, it, it doesn't interest me anymore. It exhausts me to hear people trying to work it all out still. I'm just going to go be happy and live my life. And that's the greatest statement because Mormonism teaches that if people aren't in the church, they're broken, they're less than, they don't have it. They could have more blessings in their life. They could be happier. And and I, I'm not picking on you at all, Sam, just the recognition that for those who leave, there's no, no matter what the church says, there's no reason you have to be less fulfilled or less happy outside the church. And I don't think most people are. Yeah, I know. I, I completely Go validate ahead. that. Well, and and that that's that's the goal of everything, Bill. You and I really care about those who have left, and we, we want to lower the pain, um, and and to have let people move on and fill their emotional needs and 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 find a new purpose in life. Um, and my brother, on the other hand, is 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 doing the same. And I, man, I'm grateful for you. Uh, yeah. Man, I wish you the, the best of best of luck. Yeah. I no. I, I, I really don't happening. I don't see the church really, uh, the amount of changes that would be necessary. Again, it might be there in 50 years, but, uh, but what does that mean? I mean, what, what does that mean of the entity of what it is? And I'm by no means attacking those who are staying. I'm just, I'm just being pragmatic about it and just saying there's a wonderful life outside of it too, but it takes a lot of work and it takes discipline to not focus on what, like what Bill was saying, focusing on that negative, burning it down and focusing on a more positive energy and, and moving your life forward and, and finding, finding your, your place in the sunshine. Love it. Love it. Sam, why do you stay? Why, why are you still in? I know you know the issues. I, you know, Joe and I both are, are going to go like, ah, you know, we don't exactly get it. Um, but <laughs> but it's, and we also both are acknowledging on some level we both do. Why do you yeah, stay? You know, yeah. Again, I'm willing to concede many of the criticisms and evidences that are there, right? I'm, I acknowledge those. I validate those. There are cracks in the hole. There is a virus on the ship, et cetera. My, my main motive is I still believe that it is worth redeeming, that it is redeemable, right? The, uh, if you will, the, the church structure. Um, I think it creates, it still, it still can be an effective platform in many cases. Um, we have to shave off some of that toxicity and harmfulness that we've talked about, but I believe it can be, it can be helpful. 
So, you know, I'm still here because I'm trying to, I'm trying to help transform it and help that help affect change from within. If my children, right, are going to be in this church, I have to help fix it for them, right? I have to help make this, if they want this to be their home, I want it to be a better home, a better ship to be on in that journey. And if not, then I think if it doesn't change, if it just stagnates, I think it's somewhat inevitable that 30, 40 years from now, my children will no longer be in it. And not because they're bad kids, they're wonderful kids. I love all of them, but because they will, they will, they will come to blows with what is true and where things are, right? And, and that needs to change. Now, on, a, on another note, though, I will say, and I think you guys can probably talk to some of this too, I, I've had wonderful, beautiful spiritual experiences within the church. I've identified and analyzed those experiences and recognized that those experiences don't require that the church is true. Rather, the church created a platform where I could do something good and lovely, and I felt inspired. I felt good energy, as my brother might say. I felt goodness in that and purity. And there is goodness and genuine intent and beauty within the membership and and much of much of the doctrine of the church. Right. Uh, that said, I, I recognize that you can get that in other places, and if people leave and and want to go to other places to get that, that's that's fine. Um, but it kind of goes back to what we talked about, right? This is my tribe. Um, it's kind of like the, you know, I, I live here in, uh, in the Southwest and there's lots of American native, native American Indians. And it's as if I grew up with one of the tribes and they, they do their rain dance, right. And they get the full dress on and all of that. And at some point I grow up and I, I used to think that that actually caused the rain, but maybe when I get older, I go, you know what, that rain dance, grandpa, that rain dance doesn't actually cause the rain to fall, but why can't I still sit and appreciate the dance and hear the music and look at my tribesmen and see how they are all united in, in something beautiful that is, um, may, maybe I don't have to believe that it perfectly does all the things that we say it does in such a hard construct, but I can sit back and appreciate the beauty of that. I sat the other day, and this, this doesn't happen often. I was in church a week and a half ago, and uh, typically church has been hard the last few years, especially, right? I mean, after after the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's hard to sit there through Sunday school. But I was sitting just a week and a half ago, and I've kind of come full circle on this stuff. And I just let things be, let it be where it is. I'm trying to create more space. And we're sitting there in sacrament, and we're singing this simple little hymn. And it was beautiful. I had a moment there where I'm like, you know what? There are people here that are just beautifully trying to do the best they can to live their best lives. And I was able to appreciate that moment. And, and so I think it's taken me a long time, frankly, to kind of come back to just being able to appreciate the dance, even though I know that it doesn't cause the rain in some cases. So I'm, I'm trying to create space. I'm staying on the ship to help others. I want us to write things. I want to make this, this church better. It is being restored. I want to be part of that restoration. I want to, you know, I'm getting out my hammer and I'm going to try and fix some of the things I might exhaust myself. And maybe you guys will be right 20 years from now, you'll come back and you'll say, Spencer, you eventually maybe got off the ship because it was, you know, the hole was cracked too much and it did start sinking or whatever, but I hope it doesn't. I hope we can fix it. You made a great comment when you said it is redeemable. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I think the church is redeemable. I think what... Wow. That's, that's I, a I, lot coming from you, Bill. And yeah. Journey. <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't, it wasn't worth my life to get there. And, and I don't know if Joe would pipe in and say the same, Joe, it just wasn't worth your life to get there. No, but but I no, I I don't feel we're moving humanity forward if if uh, if, if we're holding on to these these old narratives that we know are blatantly lie and then just trying to 
you know, trying to find the good in it, just being, you know, utilitarian about it. I, I, I feel you, you can extract the, the spiritually spiritual experiences and the, the good, the good work ethic and the love of community and service and all this. I believe we can build stuff in, in outside of the church and, and actually move, I move humanity forward at a better pace. Uh, that's my perspective. And I, I, and, and if, if my brother thinks he can do that inside, that's great. But again, I am so grateful. I am, uh, I'm out. Um, but we, we can move humanity forward quicker if people hold on to that integrity that, that got you to leave. And you, and you just don't want to go be a derelict. You, you still need to have discipline in life and make something of yourself and, and find these good principles to live by. And let's start constructing a better world. And I think we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking yeah. about moving humanity forward. I think, I think Sam would make the argument that in his mind, the motivation is to move this entity that he's committed so much time and energy to forward. And that's best served by him being in and trying to nudge this, you know, the, the great ship Zion to, to change course a little bit, to start patching some holes, to start giving people some medicine to start. And, and I, and I don't think, you know, and I'm with you, Joe, but I'm also wanting to try to honor his path, which is, are, are, are you and I affecting more good with more humans outside than he is inside? And I don't know that, Maybe. I don't know that that's the answer. I don't know if that, I don't know if we could get to the truth of that. I, I, I and, truly and, and believe I, that both courses have, have good cause and can have good results. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not trying to hang on to anything that's untrue. I, I believe what Elder Irene said, right? You don't have to believe anything in this church that isn't true. I, I think that's in conflict at many times right now, but I'm not trying to hold on. I'm trying to let go and, and have the church create more space to create more authenticity and awareness. And let's patch the holes, like you said, and let's, let's write the course. Let's write the ship. Yeah. Meanwhile, you and I, Joe, have, are having a much better time off on the island <laughs> and uh, <laughs> having a good time. So, you know, don't I didn't worry, wanna, my I brother lets me know all the time that yeah, he's I, having a lot. <laughs> I didn't want to feel any more anxiety looking at the cracks in the ship. I had to get off. So, so good. All right. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the respect that you guys have for each other. And I, I hope that I'm also playing safely in that space. I, I have a lot of admiration for both of you. Um, Let's wrap up then, uh, Sam, with your hope for the future. Let's talk about that. Let's get some closing thoughts and let's, uh, let's move on with our, uh, our second Saturday. Yeah, no, I, I think I've spoken to a lot of it already, but my, my hope is to create more space. I want, I want the church to be much more flexible in what the, what the you know, for, for members like myself that may not hold to the traditional narrative, I want to create that space. I think it can still be a wonderful platform for for spirituality. And, and I think it can, if we do the right thing and fix, patch up the holes and the cracks and give some medicine, I do think it can be a place where people can feel safe and come and have, you know, forget about what perspective you may have in the historical narratives, just be there and sit with one another and comfort one another, right? Um, that sense of community and the ability to help us try to live good principles, which I, I think the church espouses many good principles, right? So I'm, I'm hoping to create that space and, um, you know, hopefully it can change. And so that's, that's what I'm there for. That's what my hope is for. And, and I hope, you know, people that, that are in a situation like, like you or Joe, right. And, and struggling with these things that you won't have to struggle so much anymore, that there's, there's, there's already space, right. Instead of going through this discovery of all these historical issues, you'll be in the church and you'll be able to say, yeah, we acknowledge even as a church, as a church that there's, there's problems with, this historical claim or that, right? And this is how it is. And this is how we frame it now. And you can believe 
one side of the fence or another, right? I, I think we need to get to a space where that matters less. And what matters more is following good principles of good moral behavior, you know, Christ-like teachings, those kinds of things, and being united as a community. Love it. Love it. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap up with some closing thoughts. Joe, you asked me earlier what advice I would have for people who leave. First off, when you leave, it, you can't, it can't help but be a traumatic experience full of anxiety, trauma, hurt, pain. Um, and, I, and I worry too, Joe, that generally the people who wake up to the messiness, there's already something about them that doesn't quite fit in the box. They're already feeling some tension between them and what the institution expects of them. And I worry that when people step away from the church, there's a segment of people who leave who continue to struggle to find places to fit in and belong and be accepted. And so maybe friendships are hard to form. Maybe, maybe they're a little quirky. Maybe they, maybe they just don't fit in the box of the secular world either. And so I don't think the problem is just solved by leaving Mormonism and now you fit in and you're accepted and everything's all good and dandy. So some acknowledgement for that. And my advice would be go through the anger as long as you need to. But like I said earlier, recognize that the anger can end whenever it ends. And that, that it, it became what made me happy. What, the reason I am just absolutely content, fulfilled, I'm growing, I still read and learn, I'm still enjoying life, is, is that I've taken advantage of letting go of my identity as a Mormon and I have opened myself up, myself up to, to challenging the arbitrary constructs by which the world is made, and I've just created my own new life. And my wife, thank goodness, has gone on that journey with me. And my kids, thank goodness, have gone on that journey with me. And so everybody's situation is different. And some people are going to have a harder go of it, but find something else you're interested in. Find something else to learn about. Find some other group to join. Find some other place that you fit in better. And and don't look back looking for the approval of the people you may never get it from. Find joy and happiness with people who accept you as you are and people that will allow you um, to, to do your thing and to be you and not feel this pressure to continue to try to fit in and be accepted among people that you never will fit in or be accepted with. Yeah, and I would, I would say to that, that's beautiful, Bill. And, and, and you said something early on that, that everybody needs to hear. Um, when I, we were talking about the need for approval and people to be proud of you, um, you, you said that I, I'm sure people are, and I, and I'm, I'm proud of you. You said something along the line, like, I, I think you're doing a good job or proud of you or whatever. I, I forgot what it was, but it was p- people need to, to, to know for anybody who's, who's leaving or struggling, you know, good for you for having, for being brave enough. First, you need to, to recognize that this is very brave for you to, to, to step into the light, to see the truth. And, I'm proud of you and you're doing that. You're doing a right thing and, and there's going to be pain and all that stuff. But when you get to a point, I want you to be able to just relax and just know that you're doing a good job. And there's a lot of emotional needs. I've, I've found that if, if you have your core emotional needs that aren't being met and, and, and if you need an answer bad enough and you don't have your, your needs met, you're going to create all these weird ideas in your head. So really fill your emotional needs and, uh, maintain that discipline. You, you got to keep moving in life. You, you can't just leave the church. And like you said, if, if, if you don't do something with your life and you got, you got to wake up every day and focus on building that fire in your heart, you know, get that fire in your eyes and you can get it. And, and the, the spiritual experience you have can be just as powerful after the church. And, 
uh, that, that's where I spent a lot of my time was kind of trying to understand spirituality and what it was. And uh, man, life, life is pretty cool, but it's, it sucks for a little bit when you leave, but you're doing a good job. Relax, take care of yourself and let's catch fire. This would be what I would say. Love it. Love it. Um, and, and I, I, I want to just real quick before I go to you, Sam, just want to acknowledge that, you know, Joe's saying like, look, for those who leave, it's brave. For those who leave, it is, you're, you're stepping out into this new space and it's scary as hell and good for you for doing it and have confidence in yourself and keep at it and find new things that interest you. Um, I want to acknowledge the other side of the coin, which is not, I, I don't, it's going to feel like what Joe's saying is for those who stay, they stay in the darkness or they, they wasn't I, I, brave. I, I, right. That, Anybody who's willing to step forward to study the truth, um, and, and that, that goes for my, my brother also. Yeah, uh, that was a brave thing for him to do to step in and to do it. Um, but 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 then I, I but but then I, I do feel a connection and the pain of leaving. And so I was just speaking to those who have left, but by, yeah, by no means disparaging those who are staying. Anybody who is willing to find the truth and have integrity on it is needs is doing a good yeah, job in life. Good for them. Yeah, yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't disparaging you at all. Just acknowledgement that you weren't giving the other side of the coin necessarily, but but honoring those who leave that it is hard and it's a courageous thing to do, and it absolutely is. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Sam. Any final thoughts before we kind of close down this uh, conversation? I think it's been great. One of the one of my most fun interviews that I've done is with the two of you guys. So this has been a blast. Um, closing thoughts. Yeah, I think I think I would just like to say to to my brother and. Um, to those that have left, uh, as, as someone who's still within, I, I get you. Um, I understand you. I, I love you. I, I really do. I mean that. I have some of the most enriching and loving and deep conversations with those that have left or are inactive. And it's the authenticity there. It just, it just opens up. It's inspiring, right? And so wherever you're at, whether you're in or halfway out or all the way out, um, I understand and I feel that, and I and I and I love you, and I validate I validate you wherever you are, um, and and I get it. I totally get it. I totally get why you got off the ship at that port in the Bahamas and said we're we're staying here and we're flying home next weekend, right? And I hope that you can live your best life. I hope that I can can create more uh, empathy and understanding from within the walls of the church, and I hope that I can help my other brothers and sisters that are within the church to, to do what's right. Cause we're good people. We want to do what's right. Most of the time, right. We're, we're, we got some idiots too, but my point is, is that I, I really, really want us to create that loving space so that it's not so painful, man, the, the tragedy and the pain that's experienced from those that leave versus stay, it doesn't have to be like that. And so I'm really, really hopeful that I can, can help create that space. And so I, I just, uh, I just want to make sure that, my brother and those that, that have left know that, that I love them. I care. I really do. I, I don't judge. That's been peeled away from me. Going down the rabbit hole has allowed me to completely peel away the judgment. And so I don't have to do that anymore. I'm able to just sit with you and understand where you are and um, love you for wherever you are. And I, I hope you can understand and validate a little bit of why I'm trying to stay. I'm trying to help push things in the right direction and, and help my tribe change and uh, it's uh, for, for most of you that are left, it's still your tribe to some extent, right? And so I'm, I'm hoping to change from within a little bit and, and move us towards truth, right? Because that's, that's what we signed up for when we signed up for this thing in the first place is to. I'm, pr- to I'm uh, very yeah. proud of you, my brother. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Joe, proud of you. Um, 
the journey is the journey is tough at times. And uh, Sam, I I can't say enough about how much I can tell you want to make a positive difference in the church and gratitude to you for staying in when I couldn't and yes. for being willing to fight the good fight and to help make the church a better place from the inside. I, I think that's also a significantly brave act. And yes. so thank you to both of you for who you are, your integrity. Thank you to both of you for sharing your journey today. Um, and thank you both of you for just being, just being good human beings and trying to make a difference in the world. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Okay. Have a great day, guys. Uh, listeners, uh, check out uh, the podcast at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Uh, been a lot of fun today, and uh, we'll just see you guys next time. Take it easy, guys. Thank you for your time today. Okay. Thank you.